Welcome to another episode of Preferred Walk-On, PFF's College Football Show. I'm your host, Max Chadwick, alongside my co-host, Dalton Wasserman. And we have a very special episode for you guys. Basically, all of 2023, we have been saying, okay, who are going to be the four teams that are in the college football playoff? What will the college football playoff look like? And on the first day of 2024, we're going to get that answer because we have our preview of the two college football playoff semifinals between number one, Michigan and number four, Alabama and number two, Washington and number three, Texas. Dalton, we have been building to this for months, man. It almost feels, feels weird that we're even previewing these games right now, man. But I'm so excited to get really deep in the weeds on these two matchups with you. I know it feels it feels weird because all we talked about all year was who should be in it or who would be in it right now or this. Now it's just it's it's on the table, right? Everything gets decided on the field. And we've, you know, despite some of the controversy about who should be there, shouldn't there's four there's four great teams in this field. Yep. And, and you've got you've got matchups that just that obviously you don't normally get. You don't get Michigan Bama very often. Texas Washington played in their bowl game last year, which is kind of a weird element, but not two teams that play very often and just star players at, at, you know, all over the field for all four teams. These are, these are four excellent football teams. And, you know, at the end of the day, they picked who they picked and there really wasn't any necessarily wrong answers when it comes to the talent of the teams. And these four are as talented as they get. They're absolutely as talented as they get, man. It's interesting to see they not play that often because if so, we're going to preview this Michigan game in a second, but if Michigan wins, we're guaranteed to get a national championship rematch next season because Michigan on their conference schedule, because remember Washington is joining the big 10, they are playing Washington next year. And one of their non-conference games is Texas as well. So we're going to get a, a guaranteed national championship rematch. If Michigan beats Alabama, which I think is the perfect segue to our preview of the Rose bowl between number one, Michigan and number four, Alabama, which is at 5. PM on new year's day on ES- ESPN Eastern time. Dawn, let's start off when Michigan has the ball. What are you looking forward to seeing most with J.J. McCarthy against that elite Alabama defense? It's I think it's just can can he overcome the challenge? Look, I think we both believe that Alabama's the best secondary in the country. Yeah. There's some arguments maybe with a team like Iowa, but Bama, considering what they have to face every week and just the star-studded talent, a Kool-Aid McKinstry Terry on Arnold, mm-hmm. Caleb Downs, just just an unbelievably talented group that really has been the best part of their team most consistently all year. I mean, the only subpar game they played was the Texas game back in week two, which you know obviously put their season in danger. But since then, they are just lights out. They don't give up explosive plays, nothing over the top. They tackle well. They just it's the best secondary in the country mm-hmm. without without question. I think we've known this for probably at least a month and a half, but. Every week they show up and they're just lights out. And I think when it comes to McCarthy, you know, I, I, I'm I not sure that we know he can handle that challenge yet. I, I'm going to throw some splits at you that to me are a little bit troubling. Okay, so you're talking about his grades are heavily weighted by four, call them easier games. I'm going to throw the four at you. East Carolina, mm-hmm. UNLV, Purdue and Michigan State, okay? East Carolina is honestly one of the five worst teams in the country. They went 2-10 and ten this year. And the other three teams I just mentioned are all in the bottom 11 currently in coverage grade, okay? They can't, they can't cover anybody, let alone mm-hmm. Michigan, right? Not, again, in those four games, a 94.6 passing grade for McCarthy, 
with 11 big-time throws and no turnover-worthy plays, right? Pretty much perfect football against the four worst teams on his schedule, at least coverage-wise, right? Mm -hmm. The other nine games, which are varying degrees of tough, right? You have Iowa, you have Penn State, you have Ohio State, you have Minnesota. There's some good defenses in there, right? A 64.9 passing grade with seven big-time throws and 10 turnover-worthy plays, right? You know, red zone interceptions against Maryland. The Iowa game, honestly, Michigan's two touchdown drives were of five and six yards. You know, they they didn't move the ball great against Iowa. Their last five games, actually, I should go to, let me go to McCarthy's last four games of the season, only a 61.9 passing grade with one touchdown. The, the, the passing game, the pass protection, it's, it's a lot of it's just stalled. And, and I think this is starting for me to become a theme with McCarthy. The teams that they're just clearly better than, yeah, mm-hmm. he's going to he's gonna dominate them. But even in the Ohio State game, he had his two big-time throws and did not much else. Now, were those two throws maybe the difference in the game? Sure. But McCarthy is not – I don't think, to me at least lately, he's been as dominant as people think. And if you're going to beat this Alabama team, you need to be special. There are people who think J.J. McCarthy is a special quarterback, and he just might be. might be on his way. But I don't think we've seen it. I, I just don't think – I don't think they have a ton of receivers. Like Roman Wilson's really good. Cornelius Johnson's solid. But we just haven't seen enough in this Michigan passing game lately that, you know, for them to dominate, right? Like teams like Penn State, teams like Ohio State. And and the pass protection, too, in those two games has been subpar. It just has. You know, I I mentioned to you a couple weeks ago when they played Penn State, they started to run the ball every single play to be honest, because they couldn't, they just couldn't block them. They couldn't pass Mm -hmm. protect. And if you can't pass protect, then everything gets harder. And, and and I think McCarthy right now, their best weapon, other than obviously the run game, which we'll get into is McCarthy on the move. Not, not him sitting back there slinging it. Cause again, he's only got one touchdown his last four games. It's, it's, it's a huge challenge. I think for Michigan and McCarthy in this game through the air. Yeah, I think it is too. And I think that's the big matchup of this game is just w- whether or not Michigan will be one-dimensional. I remember that Penn State game when they beat them by nine points. That was a close game the entire second half. And yet uh, he didn't attempt a single pass in the second half. He had eight pass attempts total in that game. So they were able to kind of not say hide him because he is a talented player, but they were able to just rely on the run game. I don't think you're going to be able to do that against Alabama. It was a really good run defense. Now Penn State does as well, but I just don't think you could be one dimensional against the Crimson Tide. And, you know, the Wolverines have kind of been relying on that run game. They run the ball on 56% of their plays, which is the fifth highest rate in the power five this season. So um, like you said, man, he's kind of played Alabama's an elite defense. And you mentioned those elite defenses he's played, you know, in the three top five grade defenses that he's played in Iowa, Penn State, and Ohio State, he has a 69.7 grade. So, like you said, Alabama, probably the best secondary in the country, best coverage unit in the country as well. Three Alabama players in that secondary were named to our All-American team and Caleb Downs and, and Kool-Aid McKinstry and Terry on Arnold. Um, I just, I really struggle to see if JJ McCarthy can really put the team on his back. And I think he's going to have to do that a little bit in this game, because I just don't know if you can rely on Blake Corum and Diamond Edwards, that offensive line to carry you, uh, in this game against Alabama, you know, like they tried to do against Georgia a couple years ago. And we all saw how that turned out as well. So I just really don't know if, uh, Michigan can do that in this game. Alabama is sixth in run defense grade 
this year. So do you ultimately think that, you know, Blake Corman, Donovan Edwards can get it going enough that they can kind of rely on McCarthy as a secondary option? Or do you think that, hey, McCarthy is going to have to be the driving force of the offense in this game? I think there's a way to do it. So I, I there's Alabama, there's six in run D grade, but like there's a way to get after them. You have to, the one thing that I think is good for Michigan is they're going to have to go right downhill. Okay. Mm-hmm. So Alabama, when you get off tackle or to the edges is the third, they're actually the third best run D in the country between the tackles that drops to 30th, right? You need to, you need to punch them square in the mouth. Their defensive tackles, their linebackers, not as good as it's been in past years. I think there's, there's two things that are going to bother Bama run right at them, right downhill. And you need an element of quarterback run game. I was a little surprised. You know, if you take out Neil Downs, Max, J.J. McCarthy has 24 designed runs this whole season. Wow. That's that's it. It's... And, I, and I believe six of them were in the Penn State game. That's it. 24 designed, two, not even two per game. Right? Yeah. It, feel, it feels like now the scrambling is an element. He's lethal when he moves to his right. But that's that, I think, has to get added in here. At least, if nothing else, the zone read game or some sort of read option game with McCarthy – Quarterback, it's the same thing we've talked about with Georgia a lot this year. Bama's the same way. It's the same defense. Quarterback run game is a big, big difference, right? Mm-hmm. It, it, bothered him, it bothered him in the Tennessee game. It bothered him in the Auburn game. Pure pocket quarterbacks, pretty much, they almost don't stand a chance against this defense. It, it just, they just don't. You saw it with Carson Beck. There's just not. That's the one thing that's not in Carson Beck's game is he's not an elite athlete. And they held him to 24 points, right? Jaden Daniels had a 90, I think it was a 90 or 91 rushing grade against mm-hmm. Bama. That was the biggest element that caused Bama problems, not the throwing. He made a couple big throws, but his passing grade was in the 70s. It was his feet. Quarterback run game is huge, okay? And, and I think if Michigan can add some things with the threat of McCarthy on the edge, crashing down on the runs between the tackles, I, I think there is a formula here for Michigan's run game to succeed. Are they going to pop off a ton of big runs? No, they're not. I, I don't think so. Maybe Edwards gets loose once, but they. I think it's going to look similar if they succeed to the Penn State game, to the Ohio State game, where their offensive line has to be the best unit on the field. And, I, and my only problem with that is, this is not the week that, you know, they lost Zach Zinter I, in the Ohio State game. I was just going to say game. that, yeah. It's, it's, and he's their best run blocker. It's this is not the game that you want to be missing maybe your best offensive lineman. But, look, they've been rotating guys in all year. There's like eight or nine guys who've got legitimate snaps. Mm-hmm. They they need to run it right down Alabama's throw. Their defensive tackles are 47th in run D. Their linebackers are 39th. Are they awful? No, but this is the weak spot, right? Because, to be honest, the secondary help that they get, Arnold and Downs, especially in run D, is elite Obviously, you've got Turner and Braswell on the edge. We'll get into that in a minute, too. Run right down their throat. And, yeah, I, I to be honest with you, for as one-dimensional as it sounds, I think it's more to me. I would rather, if I'm Michigan, be one-dimensional leaning towards the run game yeah. than I am to the pass game. If they start having – if they get – you know, it's a, it's, it's a game script game. You know, they get behind early, drop back. McCarthy just three-step drop trying to find it that's even worse. I would much rather if they're going to be one dimensional, run it down their throat. And if they can add, if they added anything with McCarthy's feet by design, I think it'd be a huge help. Yeah, absolutely. And you're looking at the receivers. I mean, if you get one dimensional, the pass game, I mean, they have answers for everything 
uh, for you. So Kool-Aid McKinstry could take away Roman Wilson or Terry and could do that as well. Cornelius Johnson will be taken away by the other corner. And then you got Malachi Moore. I even mentioned it. He's a really, really good slot corner kind of hybrid that they use as well. Caleb Downs can cover uh, Colston Loveland, the tight end that they love, who I think is a very talented tight end, but he could be taken away by those safeties as well. Jalen Key has been a really good safety for Alabama. So it's almost like they have answers for everything in the passing game. And the other thing that they have answers for is that Michigan's offensive line, who won the last two Joe Moore award winners as the best offensive line in the country, kind of took a step back this year. And one of the big reasons for that was not the interior. It was the offensive tackles who have really, that's been kind of the weakness of the offensive line. And again, that does not match up well with Alabama, who you can make an argument might have the two, the best edge duo in college football in Dallas Turner and Chris Braswell. Turner going to be a first round pick. Uh, Chris Braswell, I know, has been kind of shooting up draft boards a lot right now. That's going to be an issue for them uh, in this game against Carson Barnhart uh, and against Ladarius Henderson and other guys, too. So I'm interested in seeing how those two tackles hold up, not only in the run game, uh, which, I, again, I don't know if they'd be able to do off tackle stuff like you said before with, with Turner and Brazel kind of manning it. But also in, in pass protection, man, that could be a big issue because if you don't have time for your receivers to get open against the best secondary in college football, that's the only way I think you can really beat them deep is if you have J.J. McCarthy just sitting back there with plenty of time because then eventually, as good as any secondary will be, they will break down eventually if you give them enough time. I don't know if there's going to be enough time, man, with, with Dallas Turner and Chris Braswell coming around the edge. I'm curious to see what Saban has schematically for this because – so you mentioned offensive tackles. Let's I'll throw a stack of numbers at you. For the year, their tackle's 86th in the country in pass protection. Yeah. Since, since week seven, that's 109th, all right? And since week nine, it's the seventh worst, Okay. It's, it's gotten worse as they've played better opponents and as the year has gone on since that week, seven point six highest pressure rate allowed from their tackles. It's, it's, it's actually just not good. Like I told you, they couldn't, they could, they were not capable of blocking Chop Robinson when they played Penn State. And they really, to be honest with you, McCarthy scrambled or he got rid of the ball. Sawyer and Tua Molowau dominated them against Ohio State. It's, it's not good at all. And when you've got the two guys that led the SEC in pressures, two of the four best pass rushers in the SEC, it's a problem. Actually, it's funny for me because Turner's getting the first-round hype, but I'm looking at Braswell in this game. He's usually – he's the guy coming off the offense's right side, okay? Mm-hmm. And J.J. McCarthy, when I went back and watched – so he's the sixth-best quarterback in the country when he's moved off his spot, okay? Mm-hmm. Really, really good scrambler really really good at throwing on the move but the one thing that happens with McCarthy if you let him move to his right you have a major problem major major problem if you make him step up or move to his left or back out of the pocket to his left there's a lot less good things that happen for Michigan but pretty much if I'm being honest with you McCarthy rolling to his right in some fashion is the best play in Michigan's offense yeah, big plays. He's just a natural rolling to his right. You know, I even think about how good, say, a guy like like Josh Allen, right, is just lethal when he gets out to his right. Good luck. You mm-hmm. you are asking for a touchdown to happen. I'm curious with Braswell coming off coming off that right side of the offense, and even what Saban might have for stunts or some things to set him up if they can if they can prevent McCarthy from rolling to his right. It's cool to get pressure. OK, if you went on the outside quick, cool, but he can step up and under. Think like Aaron Rodgers, right? Yep. Is there going to be a spy? Is there going to be something looping around or do they have some answer? If you can make McCarthy 
get out to the backside. He's it's not he's not as natural a thrower. It's not as quick. They're just you see you see bad things start to happen when they make him roll to his left. I I don't know if this is something maybe Saban's picked up on or not. But if they have, don't just that's the one thing with JJ. The most dangerous part, more than anything in the pocket, is if you let him get to his right, and that's seventy five ish percent of the time going to be Chris Braswell's side. Mm-hmm. If you let him get to his right, even with that secondary, you've got a problem because he just laces throws. Let, just all over the place when he's working the right side of the field moving, right? I think Chris Braswell in the Alabama's front seven, at least, is the most important player. Can he can he win quick enough and he can he keep McCarthy in the pocket from moving either up and through or even back and around to his right? I think that's going to be a big time part of this game, more so than Dallas Turner, even though Turner's the bigger name of the two of them. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that too. I, I wonder if Saban is going to tell Braswell, like, hey, rush the passer, obviously. Like, don't play contained. But I wonder if there's going to be an element of, hey, you know, go for the quarterback as well, but also play a little contained and, and don't let him get out to the right and let kind of Dallas be the guy that pins his ears back and, and fully goes after him. Like, I wonder if, if Braswell is going to play it a little safe just so McCarthy doesn't roll out to his right. Because, yeah, you mentioned the numbers when he rolls out to the right compared to the left and staying in the pocket even – uh, is stark. So I think that's a big difference. And I, I'm glad you brought that up because I think that'll be an interesting part of as how Braswell, what his plan is rushing the passer. Let's move over to the other side of the ball too. So d- as we just mentioned right there, you can see it's an elite defense against a really good offense, but man, Alabama has got a tough defense to go against. It's kind of the same on the other side of the ball, man, Michigan right now, the highest graded defense in college football and Alabama, as we've seen in the past, not really lately, but in the past, they've had some issues offensively. Uh, what are you looking forward to seeing when Alabama has the football against Michigan's elite defense? I think like it, it's, it's kind of weird because Alabama's run game is very straightforward. Right. Mm-hmm. It's like there's a lot of man blocking. They get right downhill. There's the read threat of Milrow. I, I think for me, run and pass game. I just don't think Michigan's seen. A, well, I don't. I I think we know it with all those Big Ten quarterbacks. They have not seen a guy like Jalen Milrow yeah. this year. It's just not. He's, to be honest, right now, he's the second best rushing threat at quarterback behind Jaden Daniels. Yep. Okay. Absolute rifle. Just, just a rifle. I, you know, I think Drake May leads the country in big time throws. And like we see Caleb Williams do improv stuff and Jaden Daniels throws with so much touch. Like nobody throws a better slot fade than Jaden Daniels right yeah. now. I'm going to be honest, watching through Milrose tape again, there is not a guy who makes more and better just pure arm strength throws in the country. Like there are so many throws every week where I'm just like, how like how does this ball get there so like i i i want to see miles per hour measured on some of these throws because it's just crazy the 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 sheer velocity and power he throws the ball with and then obviously when he gets vertical he takes off scrambling it's a problem they just i'm curious what michigan has for for milro right because i think the one thing that we knew from the very beginning even through say the struggles of the first couple games and then for some reason getting benched against usf He's a he's a lightning rod, man. He's mm-hmm. just a big play machine. Top of the line in big time throws, 30 explosive runs on the year. I believe it was six most out of any quarterback. You you just cannot – this guy can score a touchdown on any play from anywhere. Yep. It doesn't matter. So first thing I look at is deep ball. He's the second best deep passer uh, since either for the year – yeah, for the season behind Jaden Daniels in the country. 
second best deep passer in the country. You look at him since, look, since week four, he's the eighth best quarterback in the country. Jalen Milrow is not a weakness. And, and the crazy thing to me, he's second in yards per attempt. He's got a top 10 average depth of target, right? He just throws the ball way, way downfield. And yet he still completes roughly two thirds, 67% of his passes. Mm-hmm. It actually doesn't, the fact that he completes so many passes going for so many big plays almost doesn't make a lot of sense, right? Look, Michigan, here's the thing with Michigan, 68th in the country coverage grade against a deep ball you you better have it together on the back end yeah I, i'm t- i'm telling you right now you have to if because milrow he's got this thing I, I don't think he's like a master like cerebral reader of defenses yet but the one thing he does see is if somebody's got a step behind you he's gonna throw that thing as far as he can he he just has a knack for finding when somebody screws up in the secondary and making them pay for it 60 yards boom gone any any little mistake with his arm strength, it's a wrap. It really is. So I, I think the biggest element, this is the best athlete Michigan's seen all year, Jalen Milrow. Mm-hmm. What's, are they, like, well-adjusted enough to handle a guy like that? And, and I think there's some scheme things. I'm going to let you go first. But I think there's there's some things they can do. There's a formula here. I think Georgia showed a little bit of it, but that's yeah. the challenge for me is how do we not get 60 yard bombs dropped on us? And how do we not get a 40 yard scramble dropped on us? And that's the thing with Jalen Moreau is that it really is kind of a boomer bust in every single play because he is a guy that is going to make unbelievable plays and he's going to make a lot of head scratching ones <clears throat> as well. And, you know, you look at how much he takes sacks, man, and Michigan has a great defensive line. That's a, another matchup I'm really looking forward to seeing is Michigan's defensive line, who I believe is still right now the highest graded D line in the country. He right now, you look at PFF Ultimate right now, Jalen Moreau is in the zeroth percentile in terms of pressure to sack conversion rate he takes a sack on almost 11 percent of his pressure so he is not a guy that gets rid of the football quickly i think michigan could take advantage of that and i think michigan has the secondary to match up with alabama now the deep passing stuff is a problem but i do think will johnson you put him under may burton uh you got some really good safeties rod moore as well jim Moreau loves to attack the middle of the field i think michigan has a secondary to create problems for Moreau and Alabama, we mentioned how great their uh, secondary is. Right now, Alabama is second in coverage grade overall for defense in the country. The only one above them is Michigan. Michigan has a really, really good coverage unit all season. Uh, and the only time that Alabama's played a team that was in the top 15 of coverage grade all year was the SEC championship game in Georgia. And Georgia was ninth in coverage grade. And in that game, Jalen Moreau actually had the worst passing grade of the season. He had a 50.2 passing grade against Georgia in that SEC title game. So I think, like you mentioned before, the key in this game is going to be for Moreau to utilize his legs. And like you said, he has the second highest rushing grade in the country this year, 87.7, second only to the Heisman Trophy winner, Jaden Daniels, among all quarterbacks in the country. The Wolverines haven't seen that this year. And they haven't allowed a quarterback to rush for 60 yards against them at all this season. In fact, the last time that a quarterback rushed for 60 yards against them was last year's college football playoff semifinal when Max Duggan had 63 yards against them. Also, Max Duggan had two rushing touchdowns in that game as well. And it was only a six-point game. So you can make an argument. Those two rushing touchdowns obviously played a big part in TCU pulling off that upset. 
I think Jalen Morrell is going to have to do a little bit of that too because I just don't know. I don't know if the deep stuff will be there in this game. I don't. I think Michigan's secondary is really, really good. I don't love Alabama's. I think Alabama's got a talented group of receivers, but they're not elite like Washington's, which we'll get into in just a second, or even Texas's. I think that the the mobility for Jalen Morrell is going to be a big part of this game. But even that, man, Michigan's got linebackers to spy him. You know, Michael Barrett can spy him. Junior Colson can spy him as well. Uh, I don't know. I just I, I think this could be a game, man, where you see two low scoring offenses struggle to put points on the board. And then maybe finally someone breaks through at the end, because I look at this right now. I see two elite defenses, two of the probably three best defenses in college football going up against some offenses that are really talented and can do a lot of things really good. But they have some issues, too. And I think that that could be exposed a little bit in this game. Another thing I want to point out. Jalen Moreau, you mentioned outside the pocket stuff with J.J. McCarthy. Jalen Moreau's in the eighth percentile outside the pocket. This is a guy who, when he stays in the pocket, when he's not running, he likes to stay in the pocket and be a pure pocket passer because outside the pocket, he has a 40 passing grade this year. Eight, again, eighth percentile on quarterback. So I think if Michigan can get some pressure on him, move him off his spot, uh, and keep a spy on him so he can't run the ball either, that I think is the avenue for Michigan to really bother Milrow and for him to have kind of a bad game like he did against Georgia. I think there's two things. There's two ways they can go about it, Michigan. You can either do what Georgia did, and uh, and Georgia was using two spies, which you don't you don't see that. It was pointed mm-hmm. out early in the game: three man rush, two spies, only one explosive run for Milrow in that game, and it was actually a designed quarterback power at the yep. end of the game. So not a single explosive scramble in the Georgia game. Now, Georgia, yeah, obviously they're elite in the secondary every year, right? Now, I think there's two things they showed us. You, you can either go with, like, double spy and you, can, and you can sit back and just wait for him to throw it. Or you can speed him up and blitz him. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's another solution, too. You could blitz him. The only thing with Michigan, they don't really blitz at a real high rate. They have a high simulated pressure rate, but that still implies that you're bringing four because you're dropping one and sending another. So I have a problem, I have a problem with that, with them sending – with them sending four. I'm not sure how they'll do it. The one thing I would do that I like that you mentioned, like Will Johnson and company, man coverage. Yeah. Man coverage. Man to man, let's go. Any other year against Bama, you know, when you're talking about Devontae Smith and 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 Jalen Waddle and, and and all these guys they've had in the past, right? Jerry Judy. You, you would never play man coverage against yeah. Alabama. It's crazy. This year you can do it. And Jalen Milrow against man coverage, 51.7 passing grade. I think. You can go with the spy approach or you can go with the blitz approach. The one thing I just do not, do not just, even in simulated pressure, they can pick that up. Do not just send four because Alabama's pass protection too has gotten better as the year has gone on. It has, it's a lot better than when they started. If you only send four, I don't care what fashion it is, he will hold the ball back there for an hour and he will find a way to kill you. It don't, it, it doesn't matter. They need, they need to come up. They need to take one approach or the other. Either blitz him every play, a real blitz, or go with the spy, go with the spy thing like Georgia did. But either way, I I do think on the back end, man coverage is a very good answer. Yeah, I think so too, man. And I think Michael Barrett right now, their star linebacker, ninety three point four pass rushing grade on the season. He's been one of the best pass rushing linebackers. I think he'll play a big part in this game. Like I said before, Jalen Moreau, he hangs onto that ball for a long time, and when he gets pressured a good amount of the time, about. You know, one out of every nine times he's going to take a sack. So I think that could be a big part in this game too. Michigan's D-line, Michigan's front seven, which is also really good. Uh, I think they can create pressure on Milrow. Alabama's offensive line has gotten better. Don't get me wrong. J.C. Latham has been a stud for them all year at right tackle. Caden Proctor, though, 
has gotten better. Five-star recruit, top 10 recruit coming out of high school, their left tackle. Still an 18-year-old true freshman, though. So uh, this is a different animal, I think, in Michigan that he's going up against. That could be an issue. So I, I think Michigan gets pressure on Moreau. He he's shown that he can be prone to making a lot of mistakes under pressure and getting him off his spot and getting him outside the pocket while keeping a spy on him. I think Junior Colson, man, the key is for them, you know, it's hard to play spy on Jalen Moreau because of how athletic he is. And most linebackers simply aren't that athletic. Junior Colson is one of those guys I think is that athletic and he can spy Moreau and, and kind of run around with him a lot like Edger and Cooper did in that Alabama A&M game. He did a lot. He did that very well and was able to get Moreau a few times that I think Junior Colson could do the same thing. So maybe send Michael Barrett as a pass rusher, have Junior Colson kind of play that spy role. I think that might be a, an avenue for Michigan's defense uh, to end up, you know, winning this game potentially for them. Ultimately Dalton, after all that, and after we've seen how defensive heavy both these teams are, which offense will prevail, which offense will score just enough points to send their team to the national championship? Oh, boy. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Okay. Max, not last year. Last year was wild TCU, all that stuff. We all we all remember what happened two years ago in the Orange Bowl. Mm-hmm. I think it's coming again. Wow. I, I, think, I think there are – a whole lot of problems here. I think this is probably the worst matchup that Michigan could have got for this game. I think they would so much rather play Florida state. They would so much rather play Texas uh, or somebody else. This, this is not, you just look at everything Alabama has. There's an answer for every, it's the best secondary in the country. Turner and Braswell are not the guys Michigan wants to play with their offensive tackles struggling right now. And, and just J.J. McCarthy, look, I'm not saying he can't be that guy in the league, in college, whatever. But I have not seen anything that suggests to me that he's that he can really threaten this defense through the air. Even against like against Iowa in the conference title game, they pretty much just ran out routes at the sticks all night. And they only earned they, were, they only really earned 12 points. Right. Again, their two touchdown drives were five and six yards. This this offense has not been on the same level for the last month. Their their hope is going to be that low scoring game that you talked about. And I'm talking 16, 13, 13, 10. I'm talking a, a similar game like they got into with Penn State. I, I just don't see I don't see Saban letting that happen. I think there's so many, I think there's so many problems. And and again, you can't simulate Jalen Milrow in practice. Yeah. You there is nobody in the Big Ten like this. You know, you, you can talk about, you know, and again, a double spy approach is cool, but now that Saban's already seen it once, maybe they come up with something around it. And, and then there's the element, to be honest with you, if Alabama does, we haven't mentioned Alabama's run game too much. Huge mm-hmm. offensive line, run right downhill at you. I don't have any doubt that Alabama can play with Michigan physically. I, I just am not – I'm only seeing, honestly, one road Michigan wins this game. And I'm seeing several spots where Alabama's a huge problem for the Wolverines. I I I think this is a nightmare. I, I think when Bama got that four spot, I I can't imagine Michigan fans felt very good about it. And I, I didn't for them either. I'm taking Alabama 31 to 13. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I, actually, this, I, I just think I think there's just way, way too many problems at spots that can cause Michigan trouble. Okay. 
Yeah, you, you saw that video too when they announced the playoff teams. You saw like the groan of the entire Michigan team when they saw Alabama, not Florida State, at number four as well. This what? is just not. This is not okay for it's, them. I, I I don't think so. I don't think Turner, Braswell, Milrow again. Milrow since week four is the eighth best quarterback in the country. It just it's just too. I I think it's too much, and I think especially with Bama's defense, I just think it's too much. What what I saw against, especially against Iowa, I just I was not impressed. Yeah. That's fair. Okay, so I'm I'm actually I picked Michigan to win the national championship before the season. I don't want to go against that now. So I am actually going to pick Michigan in this game. I'm picking Michigan 24 to 21. Um I think their defense is going to cause Milrow a lot of problems. Now I do think Alabama's going to do the same thing to JJ McCarthy. They're going to be wrong. But I think Milrow is we're kind of going to see the ugly of Jalen Milrow a little bit more. And I don't think we're going to see quite that from McCarthy. And I think Michigan's run game can get something going as well. Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards can make a few plays. I don't feel great about it. Don't get me wrong, because I hear you. And I think that Alabama does cause a lot of problems for Michigan you, you offensively. Want, you want me to put it the best way I can put it, actually? Please. And this is going to be – this is going to get me in hot water. But I don't think Michigan on offense athletically – has anything Alabama's afraid of anything interesting they they have seen athletes like this all season yeah and and honestly the way McCarthy's played against the better teams on his schedule I, I is is he better than Carson Beck no is he he's certainly not better than Jaden Daniels I mean I, I honestly the, when I see some of the tape on it I start to question even if he's better than guys like like Jackson Dart right like yeah. I, and and I think about they held Georgia to 24 and LSU to 28 and Ole Miss to 10 and Tennessee they shut out in the second half like Joe Milton's a better athlete even than McCarthy like I I I don't see athletically anything Michigan has that really makes Saban lose sleep at night. I will say that that Georgia game they got some lucky breaks in that game. Georgia did fumble a few times in their own territory that Alabama took advantage of and man that Georgia game kind of opened my eyes on Milro a little bit where it was like man he faced an elite secondary. And he really struggled. I think Michigan's secondary is even better than Georgia's. And I think that that uh, could present a big problem for him. And I think Michigan's D-line is a criminally underrated unit as well. I know we talk about Turner and Braswell. Maybe Michigan doesn't have a first-round pick on that D-line like Alabama does. But I think as a unit, man, it has been one of the best in college football. And I think Alabama's offensive line uh, has had his issues. Now, it has gotten better, like we mentioned before, but it has issues. And I think Caden Proctor and that interior could be exposed a little bit in this game. Uh, so that's why I'm picking Michigan, man. I'm picking Michigan. Again, I don't feel great about it, but I do think the Wolverines uh, will come out on top. I don't feel as good about it as you obviously feel about Alabama, but I do think Michigan will come out on top. And for the first time ever, Michigan will be playing in a national championship game because the last time Michigan won the national championship was 1997. That was before the BCS was around. That was, that was back when they were voting on who the national champion is. So this will actually be the first time ever Michigan goes to a national championship game if they beat Alabama. All right, next up is the Sugar Bowl between number two, Washington, and number three, Texas, which is at 8.45 p.m. Eastern time, a late one on ESPN, obviously on the same day, Monday, January 1st, New Year's Day. So Dalton, obviously Washington with a high-flying offense. This is kind of an offensive game, whereas the Rose Bowl is more of a defensive slugfest between Michigan and Alabama. This one should be a lot more high-scoring Washington led by Michael Penix Jr., that elite group of receivers, elite play callers as well, and Kalen DeBoer and offensive coordinator Ryan Grubb. Great offensive line, really underrated running game too with Dylan Johnson. That offense is 
almost impossible to stop, man. So what are you looking forward to seeing when Washington has the ball and maybe how Texas defense can can try to at least slow it down? I think I think we should have learned our lesson by now for as much kind of even disrespect that Washington got late in the year that look, any Washington game is about Penix and the weapons. Oh, yeah. McMillan. Hulk, and you mentioned Dylan Johnson giving him the balance came through big time in the second half of the year. But any Washington game, I don't care who they're playing, is immediately about Michael Penix first and foremost. And and the question I have is Texas even capable of of covering Washington of stopping this? Okay, so there are I, I'm going with the split route again, like it did with McCarthy. It's a hard split on Texas coverage grades. Okay, mm-hmm. I've got six games. Six games where they were very good, 78-plus coverage grade in all of them. Here's your list of quarterbacks. JT Daniels for Rice, Keaton Slovis for BYU, Alan Bowman for Oklahoma State, who's actually the best one, and then you had backups playing for Wyoming, Baylor, and Texas Tech. Fantastic coverage in all of those games and against those six guys, understandable. JT Daniels is a five-star recruit, Dolan, lest you forget. He's played at nine schools, <laughs> somewhere between nine and 12 schools. So that's, he's, he's, I think he's been at more schools than he had stars. Uh, yeah, anyway. he, he was the, uh, num- quick fun fact, he was the number three quarterback coming out of high school behind Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields. So it was pretty insane seeing where he, he I think he actually just retired from football actually recently too. So it's pretty funny. It's a, wide, it's a wide range up there at the top, isn't it? You just, the stars, man, the stars lie. But now, then I've got the seven games, the other seven games there's no middle ground here where their coverage grade is 61 or below which is not good all right Jalen Milrow Dylan Gabriel Jason Bean who's probably better than any of those other six quarterbacks I mentioned Rocco Becht one of the best freshman quarterbacks in the country Will Howard who tore him to shreds in the second half Donovan Smith for Houston and Josh Hoover for TCU there's a hard split and just about every guy on that second list is better than all the guys on the first list so I, I, I'm start and Michael Penix is probably better than every single guy I just yeah. mentioned. Yeah. I, I'm not actually sure if Texas is even capable of, of covering this team. I, you know, I, I'm trying to figure out. So I go through the tape and I go, what's, what seems to be the problem? And, and I just, Texas's defense, honestly, is let the D line work. The run defense is obviously really good with the guys in the middle. So you don't have to you don't have to bring up extra guys in run support when you've got Sweat and Murphy, Sweat and Murphy mm-hmm. um, up there. You just you look on the back end and you just see, especially they run the where is it the fourth highest percent of quarters in the power mm-hmm. five. So they sit back. They're not trying to give up big plays. And there's too many times where they do anyway. It can be it can be miscommunication on the back end. There are concepts that you can isolate one-on-ones. Like Texas is secondary. It, you know, at times they work well together, but it's not like wicked talented. It's kind of why they went and got Andrew Makuba in the portal now, mm-hmm. right, from Clemson. They need more talent, but you're obviously not going to get it in this game. You got a team that runs a huge percent of quarters, but Michael Penix against quarters has a 90.5 passing grade. And the one turnover-worthy play was actually the right throw that he just missed right? Washington as a whole, six best offense. Like it, you get extra guys out of the box. You can run the ball. What you can still create even in cover four one-on-one matchups for big time receivers. Or I think a big element to this game could be Jalen McMillan in the screen game. We saw him healthy against Oregon, what he could do on shorter routes and in the screen game after the catch. Just, I, I think Texas 
I wonder if they need to do something just different in mm. general. Because if you sit back in quarters and you just send four, even with Sweat and Murphy and Alfred Collins, the third name on the inside there, that doesn't get enough credit. Look, Texas, they do. They have the best interior pass rush in the country. And that's a big help for a guy in Penix that wants to hold the ball, but wants to hold the ball in the pocket. He doesn't move yep. much, right? But they don't blitz at a high rate. They don't play a lot of man coverage at a super high rate, even though you could argue they're better at that than zone. But Penix beats man, too, because look at his receivers. Just throw a back shoulder to Odunze any play, and it'll work. I don't know what it is they may come out with different, but I think if they play defense the same way they have all year, I, I don't see any, like, other than the interior pass rush and even the interior with, with the run game causing Washington some problems because their offensive line isn't the most – like aggressive unit. Yeah. You know, it's sweat and Murphy. Look, they're going to be hard to block for anybody. It's, it's the best group of defensive tackles in the country, but on the back end, it feels like if, again, if they just send four all day, it either, they either have to start blitzing more or take their chances in press man or both or Penix is just going to sit back there and pick them apart. And they're going to be on their way to 40 points. I mean, it's been proven when Texas plays good quarterbacks, they don't cover particularly well. And and I and especially, you know, Penix doesn't move much. But to me, when I watch Texas too, they have problems late in the play. If the quarterback does start moving, we've seen Penix here and there make plays. There's a big touchdown against USC. Here and there, he can do some things on the move, but he's moving to throw, and that might be a bigger problem for Texas because they just kind of lose. They don't have like the best feel for spacing when they're in all that zone coverage, and and they lose track of guys late in the play. They either need to speed Penix up or go man-to-man or both. Or if they take the same approach, they're just going to need Sweat and Murphy to take the game over. Yeah. Uh, but but I think there's a lot of issues here just in the drop-back game. And, and there's issues when you play, Was- when you play Washington. Anybody's going to have issues against these guys, right? It, it's, it's a big problem here, I think, for Texas secondary because for all the games, we've seen seven games now where they've played decent passing games. And there really haven't been great results despite the winning. Penix, Penix is problem number one, and that's no different for Texas. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think, listen, I like I like Dylan Johnson a lot. I think he's a really underrated back, and I think he's, you know, a big part of that offense. I don't know if he's going to be much of a factor in this game, partly because I think there is a big strength on weakness aspect of it, of, of Washington and their group of receivers and Penix against Texas' secondary. And the other part is, I think Texas's run defense is elite, man. And we have Tavondre Sweat, who's been one of, if not the best D-tackle in the country this year. Uh, I believe still the highest graded D-tackle in the country. Byron Murphy's right up there as well. And then on the interior of Washington's offensive line, Parker Brailsford, their center, has really graded out really well. He's been one of the best centers in college football. He has an 80.3 run blocking grade. The other four starters on Washington's offensive line are 60 or below in run blocking grade. So it's not really a dominant run blocking unit. So I think Texas could really just shut down Washington's run block a uh, run game, excuse me. And also I think on the other side too, I think sweat, obviously I mentioned before Parker Brails for the center is a stud, but their guards, Julius Bulo and Nate Kleppo, they're not, they're both sub uh, 65 grades this year overall. So I think that's an issue as well. Um, so I think the interior could be a problem if Parker Brailsford obviously is, blocking one of Tavondres or Byron Murphy, the other one's going to have an advantageous matchup against one of those guards. So I think that could play a part in this game too. But you mentioned, man, Washington, let's just put it simply. They have the best passing a game in college football right now. They do. 
Michael Penix Jr. for the second straight year led the Power Five in passing yards. He led the nation in passing yards this year with 4,222. They have the highest-graded receiving core in the nation, 88.3 receiving grade this year, highest in the country, led by projected top-10 pick Roma Dunze. Two guys would probably be day-two picks in Jalen McMillan and Jalen Polk. Uh, The Huskies on passing plays, their grade is a 91.4. That's the highest in the country and then also, like I said, Kalen DeBoer, one of the best offensive minds in the sport at head coach. Ryan Grubb, their offensive coordinator, will probably get a head coaching job soon, uh, maybe in a couple of years or so. He's the offensive coordinator, too. He's been a terrific job as well. So, And Washington, pass blocking-wise, has been around fifth or sixth in the country. Now, I think the way for Texas to cause some problems, some for Washington's offense in this game, is take away clean pockets from Michael Penix Jr. because he is not a very mobile quarterback at all. Um, in fact, I think he only has like 30 or 40 rushing yards total all season. That's taking away sacks as well. And he does a great job not taking sacks. So I don't really think it'll be him taking sacks like it is for Jalen Murrow. But I think it's just take away his clean pockets and make him get outside the pocket if you can. Because uh, he's completed outside of the pocket this year. He's completed 47% of his passes. That is 84th among FBS quarterbacks. Also completed about 59% of his passes against the Blitz which is tied for 53rd in the country. Texas right now has the 12th best pass rushing grade in college football. I think a big part of that will be, again, the interior, which is helpful because they, if you get interior pressure on Penix, he kind of you know dances around a little bit and kind of gets happy feet in the pocket and makes inaccurate throws because of it. Because of it. So I think Tavondre Sweat and Byron Murphy are the key in this game for Texas. Um, but the problem with Texas as well, they don't really blitz at all. They have the 73rd highest blitz rate in college football, right around 35%. So that's got to change, I think. I think they have to send a little bit of pressure at Panics because if he could just sit back there with time and find his receivers against a vulnerable secondary, like you mentioned, that's a problem. And I don't think Texas has any chance. But I think the way for them to cause Washington problems in this game is to get Michael Penix Jr off his back foot, outside the pocket, because that's where he struggles, not inside the pocket. When he has clean pockets, man, it's game over, basically, no matter what. Uh, But when he gets outside the pocket, when you blitz him, and when you get him a little bit under pressure, then I think that that opens the door a little bit for Texas' defense to maybe make some plays on him. Yeah, I agree. I think between Penix and Drake May, those are the two best just pure pocket passers in the country, right? And and Penix, you can't give him time. He's got the most yards in the country on throws – that come after two and a half seconds. Okay. Mm. He wants time. He wants to get vertical. And if you don't blitz him, look, only Jaden Daniels was better against plays where teams didn't blitz him. Okay. And Penix led the nation in big time throws. So it's, there's two, uh, there, again, there are two ways they can go about it. Pretty much the same way they've gone about it all year and just hope that Sweat and Murphy win inside and sit back and just don't give up anything over the top. The problem is, there are games, several games, where they gave up stuff over the top anyway. So mm-hmm. if Sweat and Murphy, it's actually, it sounds funky, but normally a blitz is thought of as the gamble, and that's not the case here. The other thing is they could they could turn it all around and they could start just running more cover one and just start blitzing and make him get rid of the ball. You know, for as weird as it is, like, so we had Jalen Milrow earlier who wants to hold the ball forever to do who knows what with it at any yeah. moment. Penix wants to hold the ball to let his receivers get downfield. He's a vertical passer, right? Mm -hmm. 
And at times when they've had to go quicker and teams have blitzed them, even when they played, say, in Arizona State, who blitzed them, I believe, more than anybody, they have had problems. Like their, their offense just doesn't – it's not designed to get the ball out quick. The other thing with Sweat and Murphy is, look, Penix is the best play-action passer in the Power Five this year. I believe he's only behind Caden Salter for Liberty. They – the run game, like early downs in this game for Washington is going to be big if they can find that run game or maybe find the play action. Or maybe – I mean, honestly, it could be a pass to set up the run game. Maybe you come out, get under center first play, and you go action shot first play. Make them yeah. respect you like that. If you find some way to lighten the box, right, because Texas has – they've got this, you know, this run-stopping five-man front, including these defensive tackles we talk about that it's darn near impossible to run on for anybody. And Washington at time, you know, it comes and goes, right? I wonder if Washington just says, you know what? We feel like we got it. Let's action shot first play or come out and throw the ball like the first, like 10 plays, something like the whole first drive, yeah. right? Because I think it's just a very clear advantage that they have from what we've seen. Their passing game versus Texas's back end especially vertically when I, when I tell you Texas, I mean, especially even when they're in quarters and you would think, Oh, they're sitting in quarters all the time. They don't give up big plays. They still do. And it's just, they lose matchups sometimes when they're trying to communicate that they, they lose kind of their awareness of spacing at times on the second levels. These are all throws that we've seen Penix make all the time, deep posts when they get matched up on the outside quarter, uh, hard dig routes over the middle behind linebackers, comeback routes when guys are isolated outside. Penix has made all these throws all year. So I I just wonder if Texas does something schematically, like substantially different to A, change up the look, and B, just tilt their defense to things that Penix doesn't, you know, doesn't play very well against. Because otherwise you're just – this thing of just hoping – Murphy and Sweat win. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a gamble, man. What if, yeah. I mean, because because you sit at that point, if they run the same defense they've run all year, you sit there and you go, if those guys don't win, where do we go? Do mm-hmm. we just have to win? Do we have to win fifty to forty nine? Like what? I, I I'm curious to see how Texas mixes this up because I think this is, um, I think this game is much more about X's and O's than the than the first one. I really do, and I think I think for Texas. If they come out the same way or if they come out dramatically different or somewhere in between, I'm I'm curious to see what their take is on dealing with Penix in this offense. And again, I mentioned how Washington's guards are not that great, but I do think Brailsford is enough to somewhat neutralize one of Murphy and Sweat. So I think that's a that's an issue too. So it's not like you can just take advantage of a, a bad interior. So the center, like I said, Brailsford has been one of the best centers in college football this year at, at both and, run blocking and pass protection. And what it can be about Max is is always you know you always talk about like edge defenders, right? And mm-hmm. and can you slide one way? Can you double team like in like in the Bama game? Like it's going to be Turner and Braswell on the edges. It's easier to double team these interior guys, right? Like when you hear about guys like Aaron Donald or Quinn and Williams, they get doubled 90% of the time, right? right? It's easier to do that. And sometimes the key to that now, maybe for Texas is going to be, can any of the edge guys win? Cause they're going to have the one-on-ones. Yeah. They're going to have it. If you can start to get an outside threat, then you have to go, Oh man, we just can't, we can't just double sweat every play. We, even though it feels like you have to, there there's an element where they're going to need their whole defensive line to play well. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you look at Baron Sorrell, they're one of their edge defenders, 69.6 pass rushing grade this year. The other one, Ethan Burke, 62.1 pass rushing grade this year. So guys that aren't really great uh, pass rushers, they're both pretty good run defenders, but pass rushers just not there. So and you look at Washington's offensive line, I mean, the strength, obviously, Parker Brailsburg mentioned multiple times now. He's the star of that offensive line. But Troy Faltenu, man, a lot of people are high on him for the NFL draft as well. Um Probably he's going to be right now plays tackle for them. But he's probably going to kick inside a guard long term, but he has a 73.3 grade this year. It's pretty solid. Roger Rosengarden, the other tackle, has a 73.6 grade this year as well. Both of them elite in pass protection. They kind of the reason why their grades are in the low 70s is because neither of them are very good run blockers right now, but both are 85 plus pass blocking grades this year. So that's an issue. I, I don't know if Texas edge defenders will be able to create pressure around the outside. So that's why I think even though Texas does not blitz that often, they might have to do it in this game to just take some pressure off of their secondary, man. Because if you have your secondary guarding McMillan, Odunze, and Polk, all three of them really good route runners, all three of them can make some plays. I just don't know if that's – and yeah, Michael Penix Jr. throwing them the football, who's been one of the best quarterbacks in the country all year, runner-up for the Heisman Trophy. That's when you're in problems. So I I think Texas needs to – win this defensively has to win with their front seven because I just don't think their back five can hold up against Michael Penix Jr. and the best receiving core uh, in college football. Let's go to the other side of the ball now. So obviously Washington most likely going to put up some points in this game, but on the other side of the ball, Texas has an opportunity to kind of do the same thing, Dolan. What are you looking forward to seeing when the Longhorns have the football? I, I wanted to dig in deeper on, on the adjustments that Texas made once Jonathan Brooks got hurt. And what what you're finding and what you're finding really is the fundamental like basis of Texas's offense is making Quinn Ewers life easier. Yeah. Okay. I, I, I'm just going to say it straight up. Quinn Ewers as of right this minute is not an elite quarterback. Mm-hmm. He's not. Okay. He's good. At times he's very good. He runs hot and cold, but this offense is about making his life easier. And what's happened since Jonathan Brooks got hurt when there were times when Brooks was the engine, right? It was like, when in doubt, hand it to him and he's going to do something magical. All right. Well, yeah. that's gone. Not, not that CJ Baxter and Jaden blue haven't been good, but it's not quite Jonathan Brooks. Okay. They've ratcheted up the screen game. They've ratcheted up yards after catch. And, you know, through week, what is it? After week 11, one of the lowest average depth of targets in the country Texas has they're working horizontally. They don't have a great run blocking crew either. Okay. Everything on the outside, this is college offense. Now is an extension of the run game. Their last three games, they ran the second most screens in the country, second in the country in yards after catch, I believe both behind Oregon and their running backs for the year lead the power five in receiving grade and yards on screens. Okay. This is what they do. Everything's horizontal. And I know like the big memory of the year is when he was throwing moon balls against Bama. That's not actually how this offense works consistently. Right. Yours only has 13 big time throws this year and 10 and three of them. Sorry. Three of those 13 were in the Bama game. He's only got 10 cents. So the more that they have to lean on Ewers, you know, there's like that, uh, well, I guess it doesn't apply now because he just got benched, but there was that let Russ cook thing or let yeah. whoever cook. It's actually, if you're a defense playing Texas, it's make Ewers cook, make him get in the kitchen, mm-hmm. make him do it, <laughs> get him, get him behind the chains somehow. But Texas is so good in the screen game, 
getting horizontal. They have a million guys who can work after the catch. Worthy, Mitchell, Whittington, Sanders, Baxter, Blue, Keelan Robinson. They had Brooks before. Just so many good athletes that they've decided essentially to just play basketball with, right? Yeah. Start with the screen thing. Look, Texas, they forced the fifth most missed tackles on screens. They're second in the country in explosive plays on screens, okay? Washington, 35th in cover grade, and they have the most missed tackles in the country this year on screen passes. You know, part, look, they, they've had to see it, and they've struggled against it, right? Oregon, uh, USC, so a lot of these Pac-12 offenses, yeah, that's, that's the way it works. And mm-hmm. it's, not been, it's not been great. It's tough, right? The other thing, the other thing for me is the RPO game, right? And, and Quinn Ewer is a lot better in play action than non-play action, but I want to get into the RPO stuff specifically. Texas runs RPOs at a big-time rate, I believe in the top 15. This is Sarkeesian. This is what he's made this offense into is everything is quick decisions a two two 2.2 seconds somewhere in there and and it really especially with kind of some struggles and run blocking creates space right a lot of what texas's run game is about is creating those lighter boxes and getting guys to freeze and this is not what washington wants to be dealing with okay 100 when there's an rpo on 115th in the country in run degrade Okay. And and to really isolate this, there's three guys, okay, Max, that RPIs, three sets of guys, I should say, that RPOs stress out. One is edge defenders Mm -hmm. between the read option and bubbles and rocket motions and guys peeling and whatever the backs are doing, all that stuff. You're usually leaving a guy unblocked. Edge defenders, Washington edge defenders, when an RPO is on, 120th in run degrade. Wow. Second, level two, linebackers. Mm hmm. They got to freeze, run, pass, fast flow. Which way are we going? Is there a slant coming behind me? All this stuff, okay? 88th in run D grade for their linebackers, okay? Safeties, all right? Same thing. Do we do we flash out to the screen? Do we do we roll with the back? Do we roll with this rocket motion coming behind? Which way do we go? Do we run support? Can these are all guys that get put in conflict? They're safeties, 107th in run D grade. They don't like Washington has a big problem when they have to freeze mm-hmm. and they have to wait and see which way the football is going. You feel me? It's, it's hard. And Texas runs it very basic zone. Not a whole lot of, there's not like too much reading you can do up front. Cause it's the same thing half the time. It's just, it's just zone run. They, their safeties like to help like Washington, their secondary likes to help and run support and they need it. And the problem is if they have to freeze and they can't just go, just shoot up like missiles, like say they did against Oregon State, even though it was raining, they still kind of struggled for a stretch there. Mm-hmm. If it's if it's not obvious run, they don't like to freeze and wait and react and do all that. And Texas is honestly their entire offense is based on that. They're not trying to get vertical. They're trying to they're trying to put you in conflict and get yards after the catch. And and I think the way they run their offense, Texas, is a big problem all the way around for Washington with the amount of RPO and the amount of at times misdirection is in it. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to bring up the RPO thing too, man. I think that's going to be a big problem for them in this game. The other thing I think is going to be a big problem for Washington this game is that Texas. Okay. Jonathan Brooks is, is obviously out for the season with the torn ACL, but Texas could still have a sizable advantage on the ground in this game. In fact, every game this season, Texas has had at least 100 rushing yards in every single game, 
even in the three games without Jonathan Brooks. And as a team this year, Texas has forced 124 missed tackles on the ground, which is second among power five schools. CJ Baxter and Jaden blue have both done a pretty good job of, of forcing missed tackles, even though Jonathan Brooks is elite at it, obviously, but Baxter and blue have both done a good job of breaking tackles in the run game. That could be an issue against Washington, who really has had a problem with tackling this year. Right now, Washington has missed 159 tackles on the season. That is the third most among Power 5 schools. And they've also allowed the 84th most yards after contact per attempt. So I think there's an opportunity here for C.J. Baxter and Jaden Blue to break some tackles, make Washington play more guys in the box, and then if you do that, man, you got the speed of Xavier Worthy. You got a big play threat and A.D. Mitchell as well. Jatavion Sanders, one of the top tight ends in America. And Quinn Ewers, as we've seen before, has a rocket launcher, and he can get the balls to them deep downfield. Washington has actually a really good coverage unit. I believe they're right now 15th in coverage grade. But like you said, if all of a sudden you're making them creep up towards the line of scrimmage because they've just been getting gashed by the run game with the whole game, that's a problem, man. And I think that could be a big problem for Washington in this game. And also another thing I, I think Texas has to their advantage is they've got a really good offensive line, especially their tackles. Now, Braylon Trice is one of the best edge defenders in America. Uh, I believe he was our second edge defender on our All-American team. He led the nation in pressures. But Kelvin Banks Jr., sophomore left tackle, he's probably going to be a t- uh, uh, one of the top tackles in next year's draft. Christian Jones, the right tackle, has also been an elite right tackle for them as well. I think Texas has the offensive line to hold up against Washington and for them in pass protection, especially, and to give Quinn Ewers time to take those deep shots down the field when they don't need to run the ball. But again, tackling for Washington is going to be paramount in this game because that's something they've really struggled with all year. And Texas has done, even with without Jonathan Brooks, CJ Baxter and Jane Blue can break some tackles as well. So I think that's going to be a key factor in this game as well. Yeah, I agree. And, and this is the part to me where the RPO um, actually helps the run game against Washington more, more so even than, than against their coverage unit is. So, I mean, so Max here is, is a fun rhetorical kind of question. What's the best way to block Braylon Trice? Probably just run away from, or roll out away from him, right? You just don't, you just don't block him. <laughs> You literally, I mean, this is where this is where Washington has problems is that you don't block him. You make him you make him one of that edge guy in conflict that has Mm -hmm. to look at read option and RPO and some of those motions where he may have to peel and stuff. And you just have him you literally just have him on his heels standing there. I mean, we see this sometimes sometimes in the NFL, too, even with guys, say, like guys like Micah Parsons and elite edge guys like that, where you just just don't block him. Don't worry about it because you can't do it anyway. Right. But this is where this is where it matters when you're playing Washington's defense very much freezes in situations like this. Right. Mm -hmm. You get you create those light boxes with formation. You get the safeties out of there. You get them too high and you have six in the box and you start freezing guys with all of that. This is why it works. I don't even know. I don't even think it's a matter so much of like, oh, you can just dominate them. Like, I think the more I watched, it's not that they get bowled over like like dominated up front by teams offensive lines they just get spaced out like between formations making it a six-man box and then just the way the schemes are with freezing say trice or an edge guy in conflict and then just having everybody just being it, it looks a lot of the time just like washington is really unsure of who has the football 
Yeah. You know, you watch them against Oregon, you watch them against USC, just that, just that half a step late is really what makes their, what, what makes the difference. Cause if edge guys are late, then they're, then they're in no man's land. If linebackers are late, then there's somebody on them on the second level. And if safeties are late, they're just lost. Yeah. Or if they're shooting out to the bubble, when, when the ball's handed off, they're, they're just gone. Right. It's, it's, it's the right offense to attack this Washington defense. It just, it's formation, it's RPO, and it's just, it's all about spacing. And, and, and again, like a guy like Braylon Trice, who may also be their best run defender, you just don't block him. Don't bother. Yeah. Just, just let him, let him, let him be wrong. That's all there is to it. That's, that's what a lot, that's a lot of what Washington has issues with is, is too many times where the key guys in these situations are just wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I think another key factor, I think one thing a Washington defense I like in this game is that you mentioned how the backs and CJ Baxter, Jane blue have done a really good job in receiving for them over the last few weeks. Uh, Washington's linebackers are actually been really good at, at covering. Edifuan Ulufosio has one of the highest coverage grades in the country at 91. Carson Bruner uh, has a 90 coverage grade as well. Their other linebacker, I mean, they they can uh, take away that aspect for Texas in this game. So Washington, I, I do think Washington has a really good secondary, a really underrated secondary, I should say, that can, you know, create problems for Quinn Ayers. But I think the way that Texas could punish them this game is with that RPO, getting them on their heels, and then also just taking advantage of the fact that Washington just really isn't a good tackling team right now. So I, I think that could be another key to this game. Ultimately, Dalton, who you picked, obviously, Alabama to win the Rose Bowl. Who will meet Alabama in the national championship game? Well, kind of the story of the season, right? And from, from the beginning, from the beginning all the way to the end, and even now is, is that, that Bama Texas game. It really, when you look at it, became the story of the entire college football season. And wouldn't it be fitting if we got a rematch and, and Saban was to take out his revenge on Sarkeesian and all that, but I'm not going that route. Wow. Okay. I'm not it for as fitting as it would be <laughs> a couple. I, I just, I, I, I've done this a couple of times this year where I, there have been a couple of times this year where I just refused to pick against Washington. I just couldn't do it with Penix. I, I think he's special. I, I, I really yeah. do. I, I, I should be a first round pick. One of the, or if one of, if not the best pure pocket passer in the country, these weapons, these calls that Grubb has going, what they do in big moments, what Penix does in big, and even their defense, I, I've told you, it's not the best defense in the country by any means. Mm-hmm. We, we just went through a bunch of numbers on what they struggle with, and we've done it before. We've done it all year, and they've given up points in some games. But the defense shows up in big moments, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, Olafoshio Ulif- and Trice and Jabbar Muhammad. I love him on the outside, yeah. and just, and just, I, I think at the end of the day, there's so many of these big games that comes down to which quarterback do you trust more, and I, tr- I just trust Penix more. If they do find the balance through that brick wall that is Texas's run defense, I I think this is then, – then it would get heavily in Washington's favor. I don't think they're going to run for a ton of yards, Washington, in this game. There are problems. There's legitimate problems on defense for both teams. I mean, mm-hmm. Texas just – Texas just isn't that great in coverage, straight up. And Washington kind of just isn't that great, but they show up when it matters. And, and I think it just feels to me like, like there's like Penix – 
if he gets beat by Bama or Michigan with a big, big time defense, maybe the two best defenses in the country, especially Bama, then I go, okay, no shame. Although I think they're one of the very few teams that could actually do something against Bama secondary with all the weapons. But I'm, I'm going to, I think it's a shootout. I really tell the more I watch the tape, I really don't like either team's defense in this game. I'm going to take Washington high scoring game. Michael Penix just does has at least one more just special night in him. Washington 41, Texas 38. Okay. Interestingly enough, we actually saw this game last year in the Alamo Bowl with a lot of the same players, honestly. Both Quinn Ewers, Michael Penix Jr., and those group receivers for Washington. Washington won the Alamo Bowl 27 to 20. A little more low score than I thought it would be. I think it's going to be a little more high scoring in this one. Um, I'm also going with Washington, man. I do think Washington's winning this game, and Texas right now is minus four and a half against Washington. So Texas uh, favored over Washington, and I still think Washington is going to pull off the quote-unquote upset uh, and win this game. So it'll be a much more high-scoring affair, but I just I don't know how Texas secondary is going to be able to cover those receivers and take away Michael Penix Jr. and his in his arm and. Again, you got to force him off off his spot, but also Washington's offensive line is an elite pass protection unit, and Texas just doesn't blitz that much, anyways. Um, so unless Sweat and Murphy have the game of their lives, I don't know how Washington's offense is not putting up at least thirty points uh, in this game. And on the other side of the ball, I think Washington's got the the coverage unit to bother Quinn Ewers. And like you said, I just don't know if I trust Quinn Ewers all the way much. I definitely trust Michael Penix Jr. to show up in the big moments. Quinn Ewers, I don't know, man. I don't know. He did it against Alabama. Maybe if he has that kind of performance again, it'll be a shootout. But uh, again, I just, I don't know if I trust him all the way. I do think the run game, it will be a problem for Washington. But again, I think Washington's offense is going to be able to come out on top of this game, 34-31. And like Michigan, the other team I picked, so I picked Michigan to win the Rose Bowl. Like Michigan, this will actually be the first ever national championship game for Washington, who has never made it in the BCS era. They made it to the playoff one year, but they lost. Obviously, got killed by Alabama uh, in that semifinal. They're making it to the national championship game for the first ever time in program history. So Washington against Michigan is my national championship game. Washington against Alabama is Dalton's national championship game. Make sure you guys let us know in the comments what you think the national championship game will be and let us know what you think is going to happen ultimately in both these games. And please uh, leave reviews, leave your five-star reviews in our audio channels, Spotify, Google podcasts, Apple podcasts, whatever, leave your questions there, leave your takes there. We're going to get to them as soon as the season's over. We're going to have a lot of open space to do kind of a bunch of different episodes. So we'll definitely do a mailbag episode. So make sure you guys leave your questions there as well. But for Dalton Wassman and for producer Eli, I'm Max Chadwick and enjoy the playoff. And we will be back with you guys with our full national championship preview next week.